Uh, the Unity post, though, when it just begins with me saying, well, I'm, when I'm not busy watching anime, I do check out what happens on the Linux feed. <laughs> God! God! <laughs> it's so bad. I can't do this. Oh, no. Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. This is episode 30 of uh, Shades of Brown. And this week, we're taking a trip back down, uh, back through, back down, back through memory lane. Uh, and we're going to... Because nothing news happened this week. There's literally no news. So uh, we're pulling through our, our archives. Also, as well, before we get started, I'm going to re- um, repeat this at the end of the show. Um, for next week's episode, I would like to do a, a little bit a Q&A session. Um, originally I posted about this on Mastodon, but then I remembered that hashtags are garbage over there and I can only see hashtags from my local instance. So how we're going to do this then is, um, if you have any questions for us, if you want to ask us anything, I, it would be easier just to use social media, but, uh, since Mastodon's great with hashtags, you can, however, do at Stipes radio on Twitter. If you want to ask us any questions that we will answer on the show. And we always have our email link. Uh, which is contact at two shades dot com. Yep. Uh, if you email that, it goes to both of us, so we'll both see it. Um, so yeah, contact us, ask us questions. Uh, so we'd love to do more Q and A. Uh, ask, answer some questions, maybe about ourselves, uh, about the show, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, to this first topic uh, is Chrome OS, uh, and this is all Christian because Christian has a long experience uh, with Chrome OS and. The first uh, Chromebook, uh, something called the Google CR48. So Christian, you can take that. All right, I want to set the scene here. It's, it's story time. We're having story time on Shades of Brown, a new, a new segment. Last week, it was a bad thing of the week. This week, it's story time. So uh, it's 2011, right? Yeah, that's 2011, Lord. That was a while ago. Um, Google held a Chrome OS event. I think it was in September of that year. And they said they were going to uh, test pilot a laptop with Chrome OS on it that they send out to some lucky fans. And there's a website that you can go, you know, you put your email address, you put like what you do, um, why, why you'd be useful to, to help give, give feedback and all that, and your address. And for a couple months, no one heard anything. And then one day in early December, if I'm remembering this correctly, I get a UPS man at my door and I was still like, I was, I was in like, middle school at the time i wasn't even i was a kid back then so my dad's like you have a package here and i'm like what are you talking about friend ended up being a box from google with a uh cr48 in it i still own the cr48 i think it's in my closet the ribbon cable for the um screen broke because they were kind of shoddily made so it will it, it still functions i haven't turned it on in years so i don't know if it like still really works but I would have to just plug it into a monitor because I think it had VGA and USB 2 at the time, just to date how old this is. And before I even talk about Chrome OS, I want to talk about this hardware because this hardware was actually nice. So it's essentially, it was like a, think of like the old MacBooks, not the unibody ones before the MacBook Air, but like plastic white MacBooks. Take that, make it a little smaller with black rubber plastic, like rubberized plastic. It had the, um, all black keyboard, black trackpad, and it was just a screen, and there's no branding on it. It came with some amazing stickers, 
Um, right now, if you're listening to an app that supports chapters or a podcast app that has chapter support, the image is going to be of uh, these stickers that came with it. I'll also try and throw that into show notes. You can always find those at twoshadesbrown.com, by the way. So essentially, it was this really great stealth book. Um, the keyboard was great. It had a chiclet keyboard back when those were still a new thing. Um, it had really great travel, really great bounce. It wasn't flimsy. The trackpad was a little bit small, but as someone who's coming from Windows, I wasn't a Mac user back then. The tracking on it was amazing for any machine I've ever used before, right? Because Linux trackpads were weird. Trackpads are still weird on Linux. Like the uh, no button ones, the they're just all one touch surface. Those ones have always been a little weird on, on Linux. And Microsoft has finally started to get that right with the surface devices on Windows. They've always been good on uh, Mac OS. So it was really wild to see that. And the screen at the time, it was a matte 1280 by 800 screen at 12.1 uh, inches. And nowadays, the Surface is 12.1 inches. Um, the MacBook is 12.1 inches. The Google Pixel, when they used to make those laptops, were 12.1 inches, right? That's a much more common size. But back then, that was one of the first laptops to really ship in that screen size. And it was definitely appreciated. Um, do you have any, any thoughts on, on the CR48 before? All right. Um, this is, I mean, this is, this is sort of like a special laptop because, uh, nobody, it's, it's like, it wasn't available for general sale. So the few people who have these are, it, these are sort of collector's items at this point. Uh, so I would imagine some people would be interested in buying them as sort of like a part of, uh, uh, computer history, uh, or even a computer museum would be probably be interested in, in buying something like this. Uh, because it, it is sort of a unique piece of hardware made by a company called Inventech, a Chinese uh, manufacturer. And and apparently, according to the uh, wiki page on this, uh, this had a 3G modem in it. Uh, it had a 3G... Uh, oh my god, I completely forgot about that. Yes, they gave you free 3G for like a year. You get like 200 megs free for, via Verizon until... Uh, wow, how... I. I completely forgot. So I need to explain this. So, okay. They originally had long time people who have been in computers will know that Google and Verizon have always been at odds with each other. And this is like the first strike. This is where it started. So they originally sparked a deal with Verizon, which would, you'd get free 200, maybe a hundred megs of internet each month through the 3G on the device. But you could also buy um, more data if you wanted. And then Verizon just shut it off one day, and that was a whole big thing. But yes, all right, all right back to you though. Yeah, so the three G care uh, in a laptop, and uh, also, but this hardware is is is, is it, it looks very nice. It's it's a nice little package. Also, like a lot of issues with the hardware too, like the like the LCD being a little uh, flimsy, like the lid. Uh, as you mentioned, yours is. Uh, uh, like like it just the ribbon cable broke, but that was I don't think a hardware's fault. I think you like dropped it or something. I think that's why. It, uh, it... No, no, remember. So so you're remembering wrong. I got one. I sent one back and they sent me a new one. Remember the first time my my dad dropped it and the screen literally <laughs> broke off the computer because it fell on the carpet. But the um second time it was just that no the ribbon cable actually detached on the inside because I opened it up right because. This one didn't have torque screws or anything. It was just a regular um, Phillips head. And the ribbon cable had torn. Yeah, ribbon cable torn is, uh, you got to get that replaced. Uh, 
So how was the Chrome OS experience when you first got this? This is this is the beginning of Chrome OS. So this is really like sort of like the baby steps of Chrome OS. How how rough was it or how 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 was it? How was the experience? Oh, let's 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 talk about this. Let us we're going to take a trip down memory lane through Chrome OS. So Chrome OS has changed so much since it since it first came on that device, right? So the first builds of Chrome OS that shipped on it. You know how in Chrome now you can pin an app launcher to your taskbar or there's like an app launcher in the new tab page. Back then it would be, um, say like the top left corner, there's like a little envelope icon, you'd click it and it would pop over where you can scroll through all the apps installed on your system. Well, on in air quotes, right? Because they're web apps. And it was like that for releases, I want to say, so Chrome OS releases are different than stable releases. Stable releases of Chrome, I believe, are marked with M, which is are technically milestones because just every six, or six weeks at a stable version ships. But with Chrome OS, they're R's, so I'm going to refer to uh, um, all of them as like R1, R2, uh, just just for context. So R1 through R8, might, be, might have been R10, had that little app thing. And then... After R10 or R8, whichever one, I can't remember, honestly, it's been so long. They dropped that and they switched to the new tab page being the app launcher. And this at the same time, you remember how Chrome was like progressively switching from a blue theme to a gray theme? Like each release, they would like make it more gray until it just got to like that slate gray it's at right now. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it used to be more blue. Like Chromium used to be, I mean, Chromium is... is, is... Uh, very blue on Linux. It looked uh, extremely blue. Yeah, so it, it was blue and then gray and then back to blue and now it's it's, it's the gray that you know uh, and and maybe love. So yeah, that's a Chrome OS. I mean, well, there's still some more, right? I mean, this this history's not over. <laughs> Chrome Chrome's on R60. I got I got a ways to go. So I want to say around R18. That number just sticks out of my head. It might be wrong. They added... So Chrome OS originally didn't have multi-window. So there's a window switcher button, right? That did absolutely nothing. And then with R18, they added a window switcher. But how it worked... At this time, Chrome OS has already uh, become full gray. And in the top right corner, there would be like a little... Like three windows stacked on top of each other, sort of in white outlines. And you'd switch that, and you can switch from different windows. Um, it's sort of like a tiling manager, except of being like uh, horizontal and vertical. You can only go like if you're if you use a Mac and you're or if Windows ten, you're going from like different desktops or on Linux even. It's that sort sort of idea. And then with R twenty, they added split screen, so you could have two Chrome windows open at the same time. And you might be wondering, like before then, how how did you do any sort of like multitasking, right, with having multiple things on screen at once? Well, there is a pop up system. You remember this? The Hangouts app for Windows used it for like three releases before they removed it. Where at the bottom of the screen, it would bring up a little panel and there'd be a small outline of it when your mouse isn't hovered there. And then if you go down there, it pops up, you click on it and it'd just be a vertical panel that would slide up. Um, you could do Google Talk back then. There's a Notes app. There's a couple other apps that you can do that. You'd be able to build extensions that did that. And after R20, they uh, it also got really slow. It, so Chrome OS from R1 through R25-ish, 23-ish was really speedy, especially given the hardware of it being on an Atom and 2 gigs of RAM. And I think they'd switched some encryption stuff in the back end that given the EMMC um, memory 
in the CR-48 made things way slower. They progressively added more pep back to it. I think they changed how they handled Flash too, because Flash wasn't fully sandboxed up until then. Flash uh, would just run in its own thing. And it was, it was liable to take down tabs and all that kind of stuff. And then R30 is when they switched to the desktop, where it was a full-on desktop environment, right? Um, so there'd be like a bottom taskbar, like on Windows, there'd be an actual app thing. At first, the app switcher was like mission control on a Mac or launchpad, whatever it's called, where it sort of like takes up the entire screen or how Windows 8 did it. But now it's more like the start menu on Windows uh, on Windows 7. It's more like a Windows 7 era kind of looking start menu. I think they added some Google Now cards as well. Um, they removed panels. They added transparency. It's been a minute since I've used Chrome OS. I don't know if they still have transparency. I believe they do. Um, they material designed the heck out of it. At first, it was using Open Sans. Then it went to Roboto. And I think it's using Noto Sans or whatever the new Google system font is. Um, it's super material now. The settings thing is used to be kind of like its own window, but I think they, uh, or no, it used to be like a, a tab in Chrome, but now it's actually its own window. And they killed Chrome Apps. Do you remember Chrome Apps? I think there were some old posts on a blog we, we ran about Chrome Apps. So Chrome Apps is a, this Chrome Apps was a 100% proprietary to Google web framework, right? It was built on web technologies, but all the backend stuff was really like Google specific. And so you could build what we call progressive web apps today. Essentially, what web components are, what um, offline support web workers, if you remember that. Google Gears as well was also kind of thrown in there. So it's like you had Chrome apps, which you could make quote-unquote native apps. You'd be able to interact with hardware before that became an open spec in the uh, W3C, Bluetooth devices, all that stuff. Um, Chrome apps were dope. Like, I mean, it was definitely, like, not great for the open web, but you could make some dope stuff out of a web browser with that without too much work. But then Google ended up killing it. I, I don't think, I think that it's, like, kind of half-live right now, but the Chrome extension API has kind of been scaled back, and they're more pushing, um, quote-unquote, open standards. Because a uh, tech news thing that did happen this week, Allo launched for the web, but it only works in Chrome because of some web components and progressive web stuff that only is available in Chrome right now because of hashtag openness. But that's besides the point. So it's there was a system to make native-ish apps um, that ended up dying. So Chrome OS right now is kind of in a weird place, but it was it was interesting. So because of like Chrome OS, right? I could use anything as a computer. <laughs> you remember it was like, I'd be, I would just hit up like static at our friend Rachel and IRC just with like the weirdest hacks ever to get something easy done, like converting a file. Right. You remember like I used to, like, I think it was one example that sticks out in my head. I think I was, um, you, y'all two needed me to convert some audio file, right. to like MP3. And I was like, hold up. I got to find some online service that'll convert this without putting like some watermark on it. <laughs> I th oh God. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still sort of like that because like, I mean, the Chrome store uh, is much better than it used to be. Um, much more, a lot of variety. There are a lot of uh, applications, uh, variety of applications. But one thing that I'm going to ask is how was the battery life? Because I don't remember uh, if the battery life was decent or not. It lasted, I mean, if you did not use Flash, big Chrome OS was the only Chrome experience that gives you good battery life. 
Yeah. So Chrome Chrome OS is uh, like optimized for the hardware. It's it's. I mean, yeah. Flash is no longer like. I mean, back then it was relevant, but it's, it's really no longer relevant. So I think Chrome OS laptops are probably some of the best uh, battery uh, use user device like laptops that you can get like that are like super good on battery and also run like a fairly heavy sort of a web browser also also known as Chrome. So yeah, that's that's Chrome OS. And one last thing before we move on, this is like sort of a segue. Uh, there's the recovery mode button. Uh, oh, the hackability of it. Ooh, sweet. So, so you mind if I explain this? Because there's two different ways to do it. So you would take out the battery. There was a physical switch. You had to get in there with a paperclip. You'd flip it, and it would turn off the... Um, so how Chrome OS works as a security model, it's essentially like Android should be, where everything's signed by Google, and if the hardware itself cannot read that signing key, it won't boot it, and it'll boot into the last known good version of the OS. Um, and so you essentially turn off that hardware verification by uh, flipping that switch. And if you wanted to open up, you could pull one more cable, uh, which is super easy to find. They even like they had it marked on the machine, and that would disable uh, strict UEFI mode, whatever it's called, the uh, boot layer thing. So like there's because some Windows machines have it as well, where it's um, secure boot. I think it's what it's called nowadays, but back then it was just had some weird name to it. And you'd be able to sideload a BIOS onto it, like a regular Intel one for the motherboard. And so there, you could, if you disabled the hardware boot thing, you could start messing with your own images of Chrome OS and load it onto it. So I think what I did after a while is that I had, uh, it was actually, if any of you listening out there read uh, Technotic Raccoon back when that was a blog, um, there was a couple posts on how to run a Debian uh, CH root on it. And I think I got KDE installed once and did that with Chrome OS at the same time. So you literally have KDE Windows and Chrome OS Windows all in the same sort of thing, you'd uh, KDE be the window manager or KWIN, I think is the window manager for KDE, something like that. It's been a while since I've used Linux. And, or what I did after a while is I just wiped Chrome OS completely, flashed the BIOS onto it and used elementary OS back when that was still in development. So you'd, well, it's, I know, well, I mean like in development as in like, there wasn't even a 1.0, right? Do, do you remember the wing panel? I, there's a screenshot of it somewhere that I need to find. So wing panel is like the, the top bar for elementary OS, right? And the, for the first five months of it being in development, how it worked is that it would stick to your current window. Because you know how you want to used to do things, right? Like the right side of your window would just have like nothing there because usually the menu items didn't extend all the way out to the end of the window bar. And they didn't have the controls there, right? Because they moved them to the uh, left, like on Mac OS. So to put your battery indicator, the time and all that in the right part of the window, it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So to the next topic, which is a segue from the whole Linux thing, is is my sort of history with uh, Linux, uh, how I got started with Linux. Uh, this I actually can't remember the exact date, but this was uh, well, this was probably in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Uh, I used to read a magazine called uh, PC World, like a physical magazine. Uh, and uh, in 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 one ver- uh, magazine uh, version, there was a there was an article about the release of a Linux distro called Ubuntu uh, Hardy Heron or Ubuntu eight point oh four. So this this was my first uh, experience with Ubuntu. So what I did was uh, at back then Canonical would uh, 
send people CDs. Like they would give you like a CD of uh, Ubuntu 8.0 or like uh, 8.04. Like you would ask them and they like they would send the one to you in the mail. So I got I got this disc of uh, Ubuntu. I put it in. I put it in my desktop. And I go through the installer, do a dual boot, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm and I boot back into this this GNOME two UI, uh, which I'm gonna link to. Like this, this is back when Ubuntu was uh, using still still using GNOME. They're gonna go back to GNOME, but uh, yeah. So this is GNOME two, uh, very sort of Windows two thousand sort of look. Like if if you remember how Windows two thousand looked, so this is how uh, this is how Ubuntu was. So that's like my first experience with Ubuntu. Like that, after that, that's sort of like a haze. Like I think I used Ubuntu 8.10 and I used Ubuntu 9.04. I used 9.10, I used 10.04. So I, I just kept upgrade, like kept installing uh, various uh, progressively uh, better and better Ubuntu releases. I think Ubuntu 10.04 is, is probably one of the best releases that Canonical ever did. I think it was, it was an amazing uh, sort of milestone. Ooh, ooh. Counterpoint here, 10.10. That's the one before they switched Unity as the main UI. That's the last GNOME 2 Ubuntu release. I think 10.10 was the better. Like I'm 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 saying 10.04 because it was the LTS release, so a lot of people stuck to it for a long time. Like it was uh released in 2009 and then uh it was it was supported till like uh the desktop version was supported till 2013 and the server version was supported till 2015. So uh, I used uh, 10.04 as my main desktop. Like I, I, I wiped Windows and I went full on uh, Linux, and I used that on on uh, 10.04 for like a year or so. Uh, then I then I sort of found out about other distros. This was back when I first found out about this uh, YouTube channel uh, called uh, This Week in Linux. Uh, me searching for Linux videos uh, on YouTube, uh, I stumbled upon this. And I found a distro called uh, Arch Linux. Uh, Arch Linux, for those who don't know, is, is a more sort of like, like you you have to do like a proper install. There's like no GUI installer. Like you, it's it's like it's more hardcore. And I use Arch Linux for probably another while. Like, all the timeline is is very like sort of vague in my head. I can't put exact dates, but I did use Arch Linux for a long while. I remember when Arch Linux. Uh, First switch from the init system it was using to system D. Uh, I remember this. I remember the sort of controversy at the time. Uh, there was a lot of a uh, lot of arguments, a lot of flame wars on on the mailing lists, on the forums, on the in the IRC channels. Uh, this was back when system D was uh, starting to like uh, sort of be in more dis uh, more distributions. And Arch Linux, I think, was one of the first distros to adopt it because Arch Linux is, is uh, is, is is a rolling release distro, so uh, there's no like stable LTS release. It, it would it would upgrade to newer versions of software faster. So there was a lot of controversy and a lot of breakage when uh, Arch Linux first uh, switched to System D, and then after that, I sort of moved away from Arch Linux and I went back to Ubuntu for a while, and then uh, I found out about Gen two. Uh, I don't remember where I found out about Gen two from, but Gen two was was something. It was uh, it was the distro that where you have to compile everything using the package manager Portage. Uh, 
you everything you you have to compile everything. So basically, you'd have like the kernel. You have to build the kernel from a stage three, what they call a stage three tarball. Like you would boot into another uh, live CD and then download the stage three and then unpack it and make your file system. Uh, and then install your DE, compile the compiler, all all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that was a that was a fun time. And the last Linux distro. So this in timeline, uh, the latest uh, Linux distro I used was uh, OpenSUSE. So the last this is the last desktop uh, OS. I still use Linux on the server, but uh, I don't use uh, desktop Linux. I haven't used Linux distro Linux in, in a few years, about four years or so. So the last one I used was OpenSUSE, and I, I used it for like like six months. Like I was on vacation where uh, I, I had a, one laptop, and that laptop uh, only had uh, OpenSUSE on it. Um, and I think OpenSUSE is one of the best KDE distributions and one of the best uh, desktop distributions around uh, other than Ubuntu. So. Can I talk about yeah, so OpenSUSE for a minute? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, sure, let me... OpenSUSE... You know, granted, this was a uh, a while ago that I was using it, but back then it you so Ubuntu. If you wanted to go with a Debian-based distro, that was the place to be. Um, I always thought that Ubuntu was better than Linux Mint. Uh, Linux Mint always felt like it had too much going for it, right? Like if I needed half the things Linux Mint had, I would just you know download them from the repo myself. But OpenSUSE was like. It felt like the best workstation machine, if you get what I mean, right? Like Ubuntu was good for a home computer, but like if I wanted to use something on a workstation, OpenSUSE was just great. Like the they had this really maybe in retrospect it wasn't great, but the desktop the default the default GNOME desktop they had was this really cool green theme. Granted, font rendering was terrible. I remember every time someone installed OpenSUSE, I'd always just like PM them my uh dots fonts dot comp file and just dot font font uh dot font config i think something like uh, that one of those one of those hidden files in your user directory i would just send it to them and i just be like friend you're gonna thank me because i i spent like three weeks trying to get all the settings right to make font look as font running look as nice as like ubuntu which we eventually got to but it had like a really nice compass setup too it had wobbly windows but it didn't have like the fire cube oh Oh, I gotta talk about Compass for a bit. Just, just, just give me no, no. A few here seconds. you go. The floor is yours. Oh man. Uh, so the first, first time I uh, installed Ubuntu uh, eight point oh four. Uh, one of the things I found out was was Compass, and oh man, all the things you could do with Compass. You could have wobbly windows, as Christian mentioned. It's you could have fire effects like when you close a window, it would like burn out. Like, so <laughs> you remember too? And then when you switch when you switch desktops, you could have it zoom out and then zoom back in and it's on a cube. <laughs> yeah, so all a lot of very excessive, but like at the time it was really cool because it's like uh like like I was like a teenager at the time, so my sensibilities uh were a bit uh different in my priorities. But like it was really cool, like all these compass effects, like you could do all kinds of stuff. If you installed proper drivers, you could get fat, you could make compass really smooth. And one of the things that he mentioned about Ubuntu was was the font, font rendering, right? And Ubuntu was the, I think one of the few distros at the time, like when it first sort of came out, that sort of worked on their font rendering. Uh, and and then when they released their uh, Ubuntu font as well, like it was really, really nice. Like the font rendering was was very good. But coming from Windows, especially, uh, it felt it felt like a really nice uh, sort of uh, font to use. 
So, Christian, I'm going to get back to you too on the open SUSE thing, if you have anything more Okay, to say. so, yeah, uh, besides the great compass effects. Also, um, my personal opinion, this is arbitrary and really doesn't matter, but the package manager in OpenSUSE is way nicer to use than app.get. That is, well, yeah, that's a controversial opinion. Isn't it zoo? Beans of a Z. Zipper. It's zipper. Zipper, yeah, zipper. Zipper is nicer to use than app.get. I have no facts to back this up. Um, if you want to at me, please do. Um, I have nothing to, to back myself up with. I just liked it more than I did uh, the Ubuntu one. Yeah, so Ubuntu is uh, sort of, uh, this is like, as we mentioned, uh, as Christian mentioned, Ubuntu 10.10 Maverick Meerkat was the was the last distro to ship with the GNOME 2 desktop. Uh, with Starting with 11.04, Natty Narwhal, uh, Ubuntu switched to their own desktop environment called uh, Unity. Uh, and back back then, there was a lot of, like, sort of, like, people were very, like, angry. Like, they were like, you know, the Linux users get mad whenever there's any sort of change, but uh, this was, like, a big deal because Ubuntu was, like, a really popular distro. Uh, and this was, like, a big thing. Like, it was, like, like, a, like a, when the first release of Unity was, like, un, like sort of unstable, it would crash. There were a lot of bugs. Uh, those, there weren't many options to customize it. It was, it was, yeah, it was very slow. And everybody was just like, I want, I want my GNOME 2 back. So there would be, like, like all these like guides on how to install GNOME 2 again and like uh, switch back to GNOME or XFCE. Uh, so so it was it was a it was a it was a wild time. Like it was a ch- really a time of change for Canonical. Really, uh, they tried to do a lot of things with Unity, and uh, eventually, uh, fast forward to the present day future, uh, Canonical is is not in so much good shape, uh, and they're going to be the next release of. Uh, the next release of uh, Ubuntu will not have Unity. They're not is they're not going to work on Unity uh, seven. Uh, sorry, Unity eight, right? I think it was the next release that was supposed to be the next. No, release. yeah, Unity eight. So we got to talk about the whole phone thing, right? Because like the reason why Canonical fell off is you remember it was like one Mobile World Congress or it might have been IFA in Germany. One of those two. Well, it was either in Spain or in Germany, one of those big European like mobile um conferences. They essentially announced a TV platform, a mobile platform, a tablet platform, and you know what shipped? Nothing. <laughs> the phone one has had alphas. It shipped on like some European hardware made by the Spanish company. Outside of that, the TV platform essentially died. Um, they apparently had a working demo because I am going to find this. It's going to take me a minute, but I'm going to find an Engadget video. Of them going on, uh, of of it demoing, being demoed. Um, the mobile one, it was, I used um, alphas of it on, I think, you remember the Nexus 7? You could, uh, someone built a couple alphas of it for the Nexus 7. Oh yeah, I remember this. Uh, it was it was really slow though, because the Nexus 7 was terrible hardware. Like, like in, in uh, Mark Shuttleworth in, in April, uh, this year announced that uh, uh, the next version of Ubuntu uh, eighteen oh four uh, is is now no longer going to be used Unity desktop and we'll be using GNOME three. So, so we're back full circle from Ubuntu uh, shipping with GNOME two, then switching to Unity, and then back to GNOME three. Uh, 
uh, and Canonical is also moving away from the whole like uh, unified mobile and desktop property system. So it's it's focusing on uh, its cloud computing uh, and Internet of Things uh, platforms instead. Which I mean, yeah, that, that's that's, how, that's where the money is really for them. How long do you think Ubuntu has though? How long do you think until you just kill it? Because at the very least, Red Hat uh, for Fedora has always been a passion project. They've always outright said that, right? That CentOS is where Red Hat makes their money, right? On support licenses and all that. But is Canonical going to keep developing um, Ubuntu? When at this point, to be entirely honest, if you're downloading Linux today and you want and you don't want to do power user stuff right, like you aren't there for the hashtag freedoms, just use elementary OS because you're going to get a better experience. So like, where, where does Ubuntu fit? But that's also a thing, like, because, um, so Ubuntu, right, is, uh, so, uh, it, so they're based on Debian, right? So the package manager, uh, apt, aptitude, app-get, uh, the whole packaging system, uh, the repositories, uh, a lot of the stuff came from the, the mother distro, which, which, uh, which is Debian. Uh, and so, and elementary OS is also like based off of Ubuntu. So if Ubuntu dies, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because making your, they can probably go straight to Debian, but that's a lot of effort. Like that is not a trivial sort of uh, change. Uh, Debian's, uh, Debian and Ubuntu have like so sort of diverged significantly enough to be make where that is a, that's a bit of an effort. Like uh, that's going to be uh, for a package uh, packaging like stuff and like you know like a lot of differences but yeah so the upstream uh distro to debian is is going to be around i think ubuntu is not going anywhere at least in the server forms because those are very valuable like those are like uh like that's what canonical makes their money like uh the cloud computing stuff so like aws uh cloud stuff google cloud stuff uh azure uh, even windows 10 right has a windows has the uh Ubuntu subsystem. Yeah, so like the cloud computing and the Internet of Things stuff. Uh, I think the server OS is not going anywhere because a lot of people depend on it and probably pay for it, like uh, big companies. Uh, but the desktop uh, edition of the OS might go away. Uh, there's no like timeline on it, but like they're already like withdrawing a lot of sort of like focus on it. Like they, they, they switched to a GNOME 3 so they don't have to maintain uh, Unity anymore. Uh, it's like it at this point. Consider it sort of like like lower priority for Canonical at this point because they're also like sort of they sort of need money, uh, and the desktop stuff doesn't really make them money. The stuff that makes them money is the cloud computing stuff. And even then, too, right? There's the um, God, what's it called? Embedded devices, too, right? Like little Arduino things and all that. Ubuntu is still usually your best bet for getting something easy to use. Or Raspberry Pis, right? So like. And also too, it's where where does like where does Linux on the desktop go? Genuine question here, because what apps are actually being developed? You have KDE, you have the whole KDE suite of apps, but in terms of GNOME, right? Like, I think what GNOME's been doing for the past couple of years too. I think they've been rewriting all their shit in Vala. Yeah, the GNOME has been uh, GNOME three, uh, the GNOME shell interface, uh, and all their all the base apps that ship with. Uh, with with GNOME, uh, GNOME three, they've been rewriting in a, in a C plus plus based language, uh, called yeah, it's called uh, Vala. Vala, and it's um essentially so it's like uh Kotlin to Java, if I'm correct. 
it's more of like an abstraction layer than its own language. Own language, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm actually not sure what's going on with uh, in the desktop side of Linux. I haven't used uh, desktop Linux in, in, in quite a while, in, in about four years at this point. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't been connected. But I still listen to some podcasts. Uh, I'm going to recommend one podcast that uh, talks about Linux and uh, fairly often uh, a, a podcast called Bad Voltage. Uh, Stuart Langridge uh, and uh, what's his name? I can't remember the name. All the Jonah Bacon and one more person. Um, can't remember their name. But you go to badvoltage.org. Uh, they they talk about the future of uh, Ubuntu. They talk about the, a couple episodes back. I think they talked about that. They talked about the future of Linux. They talk about all kinds of uh, free and open source software and all sorts of topics related uh to that. So if you if you if you're more more interested in that sort of discussion, uh, check out Bad Voltage, uh, and I think that's going to be our topic, like our sort of episode this week. Christian, unless you have anything else to say, um, all all I have to say is that if you're still using desktop Linux in 2017, and enjoy it, and enjoy it. That's a good caveat right there. If you use it and you like it, bless your heart, because I I had to get off of it. I I bought a Mac after all because I do audio work, right? And uh, Pulse Audio is still a little weird. Um, also, too, just because we haven't had any hot takes today, um, I miss Upstart. System D is hot garbage. Uh, the, the Ubuntu font is good. Um, any other hot takes? We Like, quick hot takes. Oh, there's no good email client for, for Linux. There's that. No good email client. Um, GIMP is actually not great. Anything else? <laughs> KDE uh, is, is is probably the best desktop environment uh, as a solid sort of coherent interface. Uh, still, I still maintain KDE is is, is my favorite. Uh, uh, and I usually like if you want a great KDE distro, go look at uh, OpenSUSE because their KDE is KDE desktop is the best KDE setup you can get. But um, yeah, actually, okay, now with that, <laughs> thank you for listening. This has been Shades of Brown for the week. And you wait, uh, and uh, you can find us as always on twoshadesofbrown.com, and you can find me on Mastodon at staticsafe at mastodon.zombacloud.com, and you can email us contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. And Christian, I am at c c o l o c h o at c y b r e dot space, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.